Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Aotearoa Rugby pod after a big weekend of Super Rugby. The opening round, including a classic clash between the Crusaders and the Chiefs and other couple of goodies as well. Six Nations, good action there. Scotland getting up, Italy blowing it. Plenty to talk about from those games as well. Opiki kicks off this coming weekend. We'll do a bit of a preview. Of course, we've got our tipping comp that we want you to come in on and your emails have had plenty come through this week. Some colourful ones as well from the YouTube comments section. So, before we get into Aotearoa Rugby Pod, once again, let me introduce the boys. Uh, Bryn Hall coming out of Japan and after picking the Crusaders third last week, copping a little bit from his old mates. Yeah, thanks for that, Ross. It was a great... Um a great comment seen there on Instagram that I thought they were going to finish third in the competition. So I just want to make it clear, because I got that much stick last week, that I think they're going to finish third in the round robin and then come in at the back end of the competition to win, to win it. So you had a lot of flack there, Ross. So yeah, appreciate the um, the Instagram post from, from behalf of Sky Sports. <laughs> Happy to help. Of course, we've sent James Parsons down to Christchurch to get in with the Crusaders and find out exactly how they're feeling about their old boy heading off and going in that direction. Um, upset from what you've seen, Jepper? Yeah, there's a, there's a few sour sour people walking around here, and, and they brought uh, Matt Tamura and um, you know after his Rebels comments, and they got just got him to speak to the lads and you know, talk about the emotion of Bryn Hall, uh, just really saying I just not up to it. <laughs> well, they gave it a solid crack. You got to give it that to them. You know that second half effort, considering what their team looked like with injuries, etc. Bryn, you know to come back into that game against the Chiefs, that was a gutsy effort. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, the first half they were they would have been pretty disappointed with how they were playing, um, execution errors and probably not kicking where they wanted to on their own terms. But look, I think the second half and the way that they were able to come back and to be winning the game and then unfortunately, I think the turning point was actually uh, Satoru's 50-22 kick to be able to then put them in a position to get that penalty. Um, and then unfortunately, a little handling error from Dallas McLeod who had a really good game was probably the difference in the end. But yeah, I was thoroughly, in play, uh, thoroughly uh, impressed but the fact that there were a few injuries to, to Mighty Williams, not too sure how long he's out for. And uh, Rivers Rayhan, will, I think, isn't going to be in and around for a few weeks. So um, there's a lot there for, for them for me to be confident throughout the season. So, yeah, but well done to the Chiefs. They're able to get the job done. And, you know, I think considering in the round robin, I think they've got the Crusaders number. I don't know what the, the percentage is, Ross, but maybe the last six games, they've won five of them possibly. So 
yeah, it's always a great rivalry between those two teams, and the Chiefs will be pretty, pretty, pretty happy with that result. Tip, were you surprised the way that the Chiefs fell off? It happened as McKenzie went, and the stats completely changed. It's hard to put it down to one player because I actually thought Joshua only played pretty well. He had some nice touches. Um, but I, I think McKenzie's voice maybe in terms of their phase play and potentially their defence um, was probably missing in, in the most part. I don't think it was a skill set of um, the individuals. I just think that organisation and order. Um, but I said it to you guys on the on the WhatsApp chat. Um, I, I genuinely think only the Crusaders could dig themselves out of that hole. You know, like that was... Uh, Oh, it was an amazing comeback. You know, you sort of wrote them off completely and um, I just it just shows why they've got so many trophies uh, in the cabinet. And the opposite side to that, in other years, the Chiefs might have fallen off as a team came at them that hard through the back end and they managed to then say, no, Bryn, we're, we're sticking here and we're going to get the points that we need. The players that they have had there for a long time, the guys that have been there for four, five, six years now that have played a lot of footy, um, you have that kind of experience. And in previous previous years with Crusaders, the experience of the forward pack and guys that are coming on, um, even on their bench as well, um, it's a really, really good aspect to have in their game. So you're not surprised at all that the Chiefs were able to hold on with their mindset that they have in that, in that culture with Clayton McMillan in the last four years. Well, one of those guys who's been around a while is Anton Leonard-Brown. We talked about the mouthguards last week and Anton was blowing up deluxe about coming off because of the mouthguard and it's saying to the censors on the sideline that he had been over whatever threshold within an impact. He didn't think so. Quentin Strange didn't think so earlier in the game. Jip, we talked about it last week. I think we understand you're a fan of the concept but have it, having it actually work without any issues is another thing altogether, isn't it? And that's the thing. We're, we're almost building the, the plane on the go. Um, and obviously World Rugby's mandate um, was, you know, it was a big reason, you know, players were apprehensive around it being mandated because there's, you know, it is a pretty crucial tool. You've got to be comfortable. And, you know, even I, I had a look at Angus Tarvel's um, mouth guard on, on the weekend and they, they are chunky. They, they're definitely not as thin as, as you'd, you... I can understand why there's, um, you know, apprehensions around the comfort, but also now, um, I suppose, trusting that it's, that it's um, you know, doing the job it's supposed to do. Because if you think, if we get more and more players being pulled off that just keep passing HIA, they're going to lose trust that it's actually um, going to do the job it's designed to do. There are delays in the Bluetooth. So, you know, it might be something that happens minutes and minutes later. And so players will be quite confused, Bryn, at times about exactly what incident actually led to them going off, which can make things quite difficult. You know, 10 minutes in a crucial moment like that, if it's the last 10 minutes of a game, you're not going to see him for the back end of the game. So I'm not too sure if there's a solution around what that might look like in the short term. But, you know, moving forward through this teething process, like Jip alluded to, um, hopefully there can be a protocol if it's something like that it can be done in five minutes and then they're able to come on the field as soon as possible but again we're going through this because man it was mandated in january but um yeah i guess we're having hopefully it continue to be a little bit better moving forward around that but it's going to take time in the six nation my understanding is the sensors on the referee versus here it was on the sideline um so I don't know this for fact, but after hearing that, I'm assuming that maybe the player's mouth guard is too far away from the centre, and then that's why once it reconnects, it maybe picks up late mm. and has that delay, whereas obviously they've worked out in the Six Nations, if we put it on the ref, he's in and around the players and, and close enough, um, he or she, sorry, um, and that may be a solution to, 
to, to the problems here that we're having on the weekend just been. When you get into some sort of collision, is there a chance that you're going to be thinking about your mouth guard and not the next possible action that you should be taking on the field? Do you think players will be distracted by that? No, I don't think that, that that'll be the case. If anything, the, the players will lose confidence and, and probably wear their own mouth guard and go to recognise and remove um, because they may see that as you know more um, definitive. Yeah, so I was just going to bring back to that point, Jip, because I remember we talked about it last week because it's not, it's not compulsory to wear these mouth guards, correct? No, it's not. But if you, it's if you want to access HIA, the injury assessment, that means you have the ability to go back on the field. If you pass that test, you have to wear the IMG. If you don't want to access HIA, you can wear your own mouth guard, and then it's that recognise and remove, which is the match day doctor thinks you've um, had a knock or you're concussed and he pulls you off the field, you can't access HIA and you can't go back on the field, whether they're right or wrong. So that's what players have to weigh up. Cool. Well, let's move on. Another couple of points out of that game that were relatively interesting. I think one, obviously Will Jordan wasn't there. I thought the Crusaders, Bryn Saw and Shea Fiaki, that they've got a more than capable replacement at that level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really stoked, really stoked for Shea. I think... You know, at the Crusaders, unfortunately, you know, sometimes you've got to wait in the wings for a while. And he's been there for, I'd say, you know, three, four years, waiting behind Will, learning, you know, playing Bowling Bunnings, NPC, and getting time in that 15 jersey. But, yeah, look, I wasn't surprised with the, with his ability on the weekend. Um, it's just been able to get a chance. And, you know, with Will Jordan being out, he's going to take a lot of confidence that he did on the weekend um, and knowing that, yep, it's a derby game, played really well. And the challenge for him now is to be able to be consistent and, I guess, for that number 15 role, influence the game like he did on the weekend on attack. But... His kicking game, he's got a great boot, a massive boot actually, and in terms of his skill set, his passing, um, it's really, really good. So for him, and a lot of fullbacks actually, that we'll continue to talk about uh, throughout this podcast, um, there's some good opportunities for him and other guys in the country, but you yeah, really stick with how he played, and I think he's going to be massive for the Crusaders this year. Yeah, that's interesting you bring that up. Uh, we've had some emails come through regarding Zahn Sullivan. Looking from afar, this person says, why isn't Zahn Sullivan getting more opportunities at 10? with a big left boot and being able to kick out of the hand, a good runner, et cetera. Chip, when you look at that and then you see how he performed at 15 and the way that Peter Feta went at 10, do you think the Blues have got that correct? Oh, 100%. I think Stevie's in the form of his life at the moment. And, and I mean, based on the weekend and his preseason form, you know, he's warranting discussions of the All Black 10 jersey. Um, and I think Zahn's on a similar journey um, to Stephen in the sense that Stephen spent a lot of time at 15, um, and then sort of got that first five um, role at, at Taranaki. And I think Zan will see more and more time first five at NPC level. But, God, they work so well as, as the double pivot for the Blues. Like, it'd be madness. I think 15 suits Zan's game better. He can inject himself when he wants to. He's got that beautiful left boot that just can seal things. And, you know, you saw a lot of pressure, kick pressure coming on to um, Stephen Pettifetta at by the drawer and the bailout to give to Zahn and then he just peels off 70 metres. It's, I think it's the perfect combo. I think one person that probably has had the runs on the board strip and actually has played consistently uh, is Sean Stevenson. And you're talking around pairings, you've got, um, you know, Damian McKenzie and, and then working in tandem for that 10-15. So, you know, he's probably the one guy that has been able to play a lot of footy at 15, has played in big moments, has, you know, hasn't been selected for the All Blacks, has come back in a final and played really well. So, you know, he's probably one guy that I think has the runs on the board that, you know, obviously throughout the season, there'll be more guys that will cons consistently play more minutes and to be able to stake their claim. But, 
you know, Sean Stevenson with the seasons that he's had, especially the last year and even the year before to now, he's with one guy that I would think with Paul Jordan being injured, that would be the starter right now, in my, in my opinion. I suppose, Bryn, the other thing is that Peter Feta could well be the backup at fullback um, if you're thinking about McKenzie at 10. Yeah, 100%. I think with, with Stevie being able to play 15 when Bodie was here, um, he's got a pretty good understanding at um, at 15, whether that was at, that was at NPC, NPC level with Taranaki or with the Blues, um, to be able to have a good understanding to play 15. But then as well, with Bodie not being here, um, he's running the cutter for the Blues this year at 10. So yeah, definitely another guy that I think um, in the makeup of the squad and that cover of 10-15, uh, uh, Stevie fits that perfectly. Um, I do think though, like it, it, delivering in that final series will will be a big part of who's in the, I suppose, the starting fifteen. But squad wise, you'd 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 have to guarantee that Sean Stevenson will be there. Shane Allison on email this week came to us about Levi Almoor, who was actually right in the middle of our chat on WhatsApp uh, during the games. Shane Allison said via email, what are your thoughts on Levi Almoor? He was sensational last year and is a tackle busting and offloading machine. Would he be great cover for centre or even wing? He's talking about for the All Blacks. I think just to progress that to what our chat was within the, the WhatsApp, is he a 12 or a 13? Yeah, I, I definitely think he's a 13. Um, you know, I think with the, with the Crusaders and with that 12, um, that 12 role, um, what you need, David Havili's perfect in and around there, and Adelis McLeod as well. You run pass, kick, communication, that second pivot, and being able to run the game game management-wise is pretty important within that squad. So, and I think for Levi, you know, sometimes it's 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 a little bit um, takes a little bit of time, sorry, to adjust to a new squad and what that your kind of role is with the Crusaders. And you know, more in Pacifica, there was a lot of times where um, it's been able to give him the ball and been able to get a lot of touches. And a lot of their game plan was based around giving him the ball. But you know, sometimes within that Crusaders environment, um, sometimes it's a distributor or it's been able to put people away or it's communicating. And I think you know, as time runs runs and him being able to get a more understanding of what it is to play within that. Like that structure, we'll see the best version of um, Levi Moore. And I think also as well, the Crusaders will be able to use his strengths. And so yeah, there'll be some weeks where within maps or being able to be off scrums, he'll be able to get in the game a lot easier. But yeah, it'll just take time. But again, um, there's there's a lot of ability. We've seen it at Moana Pacifica and I think the Crusaders will get the best out of, best out of him. He just needs time to be able to adjust in that, in that environment. Jip, what I like about this conversation is that it's very rare that we see major transfers within Super Rugby. Players tend to stay with a club, and if they leave, they go overseas. It's very rare that you see a superstar from one club go to the other. Uh, thinking through the history, maybe Jonah moving to the Chiefs and then the Canes, and Bowden Barrett going to Auckland. But outside of that, you don't see it a lot. Maybe when the Hurricanes were falling apart and some of those guys transferred, Ma'a and Pity, etc. So it is quite cool for the competition to be able to have people who are going into teams be talked about as, hey, that's a great get. It's, it's weird, we don't have a transfer window. We're not like other professional sports outfits like that, the way that the central contracting works, et cetera. So it's exciting to have those kind of conversations. It's almost like an evolution of the game. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, there's, there, there's been talk of drafts and transfers so forth, you know, between New Zealand and Aussie teams. And, um, you know, we may get there, we may not. Um, but as you say, with it being centrally contracted, it probably restricts it a little bit. Um, and the one thing I'd say about Levi as well, which is which is exciting, is you know go down a Ben Darwin effect. Is once David Harvey comes back, they have played a lot of rugby together, and they have been lethal for Tasman. And and I do think mm. um, that combination could prove quite deadly uh, once it's you know I suppose reintroduced. Well, while we're on our viewer questions, 
I'm really keen to explore this next one because it came out of YouTube and the person's pretty fired up. Obviously, we've seen a bunch of law interpretations change. We've seen a bunch of sort of movements within Super Rugby to speed up the game. They're not exactly the same as what's being done at World Rugby level and at times there is a little bit of criticism about that. This came from Warren Boyson. I presume that's how the name is said off of YouTube. This, this is what he says. This obsession of New Zealand Australia with changing and speeding up the game is going to cost them again as it did last World Cup cycle. Gone was the five metre scron that cost Ireland a World Cup semi-final, potentially thanks to Geordie's leg. Don't like scrumming when true robbery of the World Cup final was Barnes not blowing one scrum penalty. New Zealand have dominated the game for 100 years. Why the obsession with changing things? And Super Rugby is prepared to go it alone with innovations and want some sort of ruck and run rugby. Is Super Rugby there to advance the game, to test and try things that won't be tried at World Rugby level? Or is Super Rugby there to prepare players to be the best they can be within test football? What do you think, Chipper? Look, I think you've got to look at it and understand that Super Rugby is run on its own. So Super Rugby is doing what's right, what they believe is right for Super Rugby, not international rugby. Um, but, however, I do like a lot of the things that have been brought in. And, and let's just remember, a lot of the focus points are already in law. It's just bringing it to the attention and being, you know, sort of driven by the referees a lot harder. It's not actually like these new rules. So, technically, in my opinion, it, I think what we did with the TMO um, last season was tried to be replicated in the World Cup. So it's actually an advert to World Rugby to say, hey, look, this is making the game a better product. Um, and yes, I, I, I hear um, the frustrations and, and I'm a traditionalist around the game. I, I get all that. But the bulk of the people are wanting to see more ball in play, the game sped up and, you know, utilised in a, in a way that um, I suppose brings bums on seats, but also eyes on, eyes on the game in, in terms of um, on the TV as well. I suppose if I just make a comparison, Brent, I know you follow the NBA closely. The NBA doesn't care what FIBA does. The NBA does what's good for the NBA product. Is that the way that Super Rugby should be looking at Super Rugby? Well, I think it's always great to be to be able to think about how we can be better as a product. And I think for Super Rugby specific, you know, there's one law that we would have loved to have had put in the Rugby World Cup, which was the red card law. Look, what we were able to do at Super Rugby Pacific there, and you know, you still get an element of being able to take advantage of having 20 minutes of someone off, and the, the team are able to be able to attack with that, but. It takes away from, you know, you look at the World Cup and I know, you know, the South Africans and the Northern Hemisphere, we're thinking like, oh, it's just because the All Blacks lost. It's not. It's just been able to say, you know, we want to be able to have a product when it comes when all eyes are on. It's good to watch. And it's 15 on 15 and it's 15 on 15. And another example of that is the the, the law around the Gitto law. No, sorry, not the Gitto law, the DuPont law. You know, I think that's uh, watching that watching that game a few weeks ago and seeing that, you know, it wasn't great to watch. You could even hear the fans on the sideline as well booing or, or cheering or blowing whistles because of what was happening, you know? So it's not like we're changing a line out or a, or a scrum and those things that you need still need parity to be able to win games. You still have to do that within the Super Rugby Pacific, but it's been able to speed up game and I guess making the ball and playing and more exciting to be able to use an attacking brand of rugby. Because I think at this moment in time, defenses are so good now, being able to slow down the ball. It's coming back to then if you can't, if you can't attack, you're kicking the ball away and they've been able to take away the ability of, you know, guys that can win games or been able to show that attacking prowess that a lot of, that a lot of players can do. He carried on in his question, Jip. Uh, I quite enjoyed this. I thought you might like this. If a pushover maul try doesn't give you the same thrill as a fullback cutting through the line and dotting down under the post, you're not a union fan and you should watch league. 
as I said, I'm a traditionalist and I love the traditional aspects of our game, but I'm also a realist and it won't stand the test of time if we don't make some adjustments. Rugby has been evolving since back in the day. Numbers are changing, number of people in the field are changing. Wingers are throwing into lineouts, turned into hookers. It's not a game that's ever really been static. It's not like football where the rules have been the rules outside of, you know, VAR for such a long period of time. We're constantly tinkering this thing. And that's kind of the good and the bad part about rugby, right, Brent? Well, 100%. And I think for our, for our competition as well, you know, you'd have to think that the competitiveness and, you know, you look at the Six Nations or the Northern Hemisphere at the moment of their competitions and being really competitive, you know, unfortunately, we're just not at a stage where you know it, it, it's, it's like that. Yes, there are the, the the New Zealand teams that are that are competitive, and hopefully the Australian teams can come and be a lot better this year. And one of Pacifica, the Fiji and Daru have been have been really good last year. So us being able to have a, a different product to look at, um, I think it is a positive thing. So you know, like you said, Ross, it's not static, and if we can keep to continuing to get our game better, especially at Super Rugby Pacific, and that can influence the the, the, the international game to make that better, then 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 so be it. And we'll get to the international game very, very soon. Uh, plenty to talk about within the Six Nations. But before we get there, you mentioned Moana Pacifica. Really strong start against the Highlanders, Jip. Looked really good through the first half. Goodbyes and Raitamatavuki Neepkins, Tabataba Nawai, Taniello Talia, and Reese Patchell as well, who was an interesting one because I suppose I had questions about why you would buy a person like Reese Patchell, but I think we saw why. I mean, that was a hell of a pass, wasn't it? Um, he, he, it was a beautiful bullet and um, I suppose he, he brings a calmness because there's a lot of X factor, you know, with Nareki and uh, Ratamatavuki Neatkins, like there is a lot of pace, a lot of, um, I suppose, flair and he's someone that will be the, the mellow in between that and, and hopefully find that happy balance and um, they had to fight hard. I was really impressed with Moana Pacifica, um, particularly like... A, like any Tom Coventry uh, coach side, set piece was really strong and that's a platform they can really build off. And, um, yeah, I, I think they that the only area they really probably, you know, let themselves down is that 80% tackle count. Um, in the end, you know, that's that's what probably cost them the game and, and uh, allowed the Highlanders to, to fight their way back out of it. But uh, I thought, you know, both sides would, you know, be pretty happy with what they did. Um, Highlanders more so, I suppose. I was getting the win and the bonus point, but I, I do think there was enough to say that Moana Pacifica sh should, you know, get a few more Ws this year. Uh, Bryn, where do you need that tackle count to be to win championships or be in the running to make playoffs as far as percentage is concerned? Yeah, the high 80s is, is probably the minimum. And I think if you get in that kind of 90, 92%, you know, that, that's world-class and it's international level. So I think if you get to that high 80s and um, you stay at that kind of range and, you know, if there are some games where it's in that 90s, then that's that kind of defence uh, pressure that you want. So, yeah, it'll definitely be a point of, uh, not concern, but I think for their review, um, being able to get their right, their tackle percentage a little bit up because, yeah, I thought, man, Moana Pacifica, they played really, really well. Um, they showed a lot of grit. Um, they stayed in for a lot of moments of that game where um, the game was in the balance and they were able to um, been able to make it really difficult for the Highlanders. But, yeah, I was really impressed with the Highlanders. I think, you know, you know, Ratamatavuki Nipkins, I think, man, what a signing with Tavatava Nawai as well. I think last year they really missed that ability to be able to beat people one-on-one -on -one. and look, those two um, in that back three as well, you know, they were great. And I think 
the grunt work of the forward pick, I think, as well, Jip. Um, if they can get that quick ball and get Falau Fakatava a quick ball and being able to snipe and being able to influence the game. Um, and I think Reese Patchell as well, he was great in terms of their game manager. Just playing with him um, at World 15, he's a very detailed man and understanding that Northern Hemisphere style of rugby and understanding what's required as a 10. So I think a great pickup. And, and, and with that as well, we talked around the young 10s and the young 10s in that environment. They're going to learn a lot from him because of how detailed and understanding of game rugby um, that he has. You've played a bit with him, Bryn? Yeah, he was at the World 15. We were um, there wasn't a lot of detail around our around our game, but um, he's a really astute rugby player. I think we had a lot of conversations together and uh, how he was seeing the game and was really interested actually when he said that he was going to the Highlanders. And I said, "How are you finding it down there?" And he said that the level of keeping ball and play, the offload, and being able to play fast, he's been really impressed with that. And I think you know, I think Kendrick Lynn's there as well. I think he's been brought into that coaching staff and saying that um, he's very detailed in terms of his face play attack from the Northern Hemisphere. So I think it's a great marriage. If you can have that detail and understanding for players, um, you're going to give guys like, you know, their outside backs and, and that forward pack to tip and be able to be real clear around what they need. Um, I think it's a great direction for that club moving forward with those two guys. Jip, they're your dark horse team. You must have been pretty happy with the way they came back in the second half. Yeah, I mean... Um... Yeah, I think the, the the only one area that I was probably concerned with was the discipline. Um, they just gave too many opportunities to Moana Pacifica to remain in that game. Two tries while there was a yellow card. So um, although they'll be happy, I mean, they tackled at 90%. They made 177 tackles, like, uh, and, you know, their attack shape looked good. I thought Sam Gilbert was good as well. Um, but uh, we all know that discipline will will kill you eventually. So they, they got away with that one and, and no doubt will be a big focus. Now in the pre-season, we did a fair few interviews with a few of the captains. Jip and I went out to the Super Rugby launch and one of the people that we spoke to was Moana Pacifica captain, James Lay. He's new into the team this year, come from the Blues. The same way that their coach, Tana Umanga, has come into the side this year. We saw some good things from them in that first half and we really wanted to know a little bit from James about what it took to come into a side like that with a slightly different ethos, bring in a new leadership style and really embed in and what he's learnt during that process. Very happy to have a, a fellow <laughs> have a former front Blues rower. front row. Yeah, yeah, that's it. A similar height. All these locks and blindsides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You look like a dwarf. Yeah, he, he wants to put his arm around you. Like, yeah, it's yeah. actually pretty yeah, hard yeah, for him yeah, not to do it. That's where I feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Hey, mate. Moana Pacifica. Obviously, new team for you. A team with a completely different ethos, I suppose, to almost every other team that you've been in. What's it been like to adjust and how enjoyable has it been to become part of Moana Pacifica? Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a bit of an adjustment, to be fair. But, you know, I've, I've played for Samoa before, so I understand the Pacifica side of things. Um, we always say with uh, Pacifica teams, it's, uh, it's the people's team. So, um, you know, the culture sort of takes care of itself. And I think uh, the biggest growth in our team is, you know, teaching these young individuals how to be uh, professionals each day. Um, how we can bring them up to speed in terms of their learning and uh, being able to execute on game day. So that's that's the biggest thing. You, yeah. you speak about you know the standards of professionalism. I've got a little bit of a man crush on your Ford's coach. Uh, he, he turned my game around uh, massively. How how's his impact, Tom Coventry, um, on those young players? Yeah, he's he's great for the young boys. Um, 
he'll tell you exactly what he needs from you. You know that. Um, and he's he's very straight up with how, uh, how he is and what he wants from you. So um, he's great for a lot of us young guys. He's been great for my career as well. Um, and like I said, he'll tell you what, what he needs from you and, and you're expected to do it. Otherwise, you know, it'll be the next man up. 100%. <laughs> um, there are 19 new guys in your squad, so you need that kind of leadership, don't you, within the team? Yeah, you definitely do need, um, you know, strong leaders, strong coaches. You know, it's it's not just the players and the leaders there. You know, we've got um, great coaches that are really taking control of everything. And um, the more we can have those voices speaking, the more those younger younger guys take the nuggets you know, hopefully hold on to some things and learn things each and every day. What things happen in this club that don't happen anywhere else that you have played? Yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, the inner realm, very special. Um, you know, we start all of our days with prayer and peselotu, uh, which is, uh, you know, usually like a hymn, um, which is really special. Um, and then, you know, a lot of our things that we do, you know, all revolve around being happy, you know, because we all know that a dangerous uh, Pacific Islander is one that's happy. So, um, and you'll see that across all the teams. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You usually see the, the, the Pacifica boys, they're, they're very uh, lighthearted even on the field. Sometimes they you know, joke when you're not meant to be joking, but <laughs> they still uh, ball out when they need to as well. So it's, it's, a, it's a weird dynamic how, you know, it's something you don't really need to work on, the culture. It's always there. But the things we need to work on are the knowledge of the game and you know getting into our books and, and knowing our game plans and things like that. So you put a little bit more energy into that. But I hear that you've gone up to his area, North Harbour, and you guys have flashed it out. You guys have got a hell of a facility at the stadium. Yeah, it's unreal. It's unreal. But it's it's probably um, goes goes along with everything that's uh, changed this year. You know, new coaches, uh, quite a lot of new boys in the team, um, and then obviously you need world class facilities to, to operate in this competition. If you don't have that, you can't rock up on game day and play good games of rugby. So, you know, having the professional setup only just uh, shows the boys how to actually come in, see all the right equipment, do the right things, be a pro rugby player 24-7, and that's what it's all about. The weight room used to be a hospitality area. Do they still have the bar in the corner? Yeah, they've still got a bar there. We haven't used it. (laughs) (laughs) Protein shakes in the corner. Yeah, protein shakes in the straight out the tap. Yeah. (laughs) It's probably a health and safety issue having beer and a weight room in the same place. I don't know if the fridge will be full. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, before we go uh, a few quick questions for you toughest guy you've ever scrummed against and why 
Uh, toughest guy I've scrummed against is probably two. Um, first one would have to be in France, uh, a guy called Paul Aloumil. Uh He plays for Stade Francais. He's just, uh, yeah, tough. He, he gets into some odd shapes and he just explodes through. It's pretty, pretty damn tough. Um, and then the other one would have to be Nipple. He's just, yeah, pretty, pretty bloody strong, you know. And when you're doing it every day, back when I was at the Blues, it's um, you're waking up every day with a sore neck. So, yeah, it's not nice. Yeah, it's a lot of weight just a lot of weight. on your yeah, neck. Yeah, he's a big man. He's a big Chest man. down. Yeah, yeah. Do you get a lot of guys with weird technique, Chipper? Like, or are most people kind of the same? Um, I think it depends on your height. And, and then you've got to adjust your gap, you know, as to, to fit for, for that body type. But the two players you've mentioned are probably a little bit taller and they've got so much weight behind them from a loose head's point of view, correct me if I'm yeah, wrong, yeah, yeah. is they try to push, push you down. down. Yeah. And whereas loose head's trying to keep Get them up. up. Yeah, and that's yeah. why there's so much pressure on. On the back of the neck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's why the neck ends up yeah. that big. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, yeah. The, that's why we don't have neck. Yeah, there you go. Shoulders, <laughs> straps, head. Yeah. yeah, no neck. Yeah, but I suppose you know now, do you? Because you've obviously had some video analysis. You know if you're coming up against a weird bloke, he's going to put you in strange places. Yeah, I think you do the work during the week, and and you're able to work out what what each individual does. But obviously on game day, it's yeah, it's a spanner in the works to change up the picture, and that's the thing that you got to you got to learn on the go. Yeah. The back five's so important though. Like people don't understand how many variables go into a good scrum. Like it's not a one-on-one thing. Like you've got to work with your hooker, then you've got to get the trigger from your eight, and. Yeah. You need that, I suppose, that connection all the way through so the weight transfers. Yeah, a whole lot of connection. And like Jipper said, um, a lot of people say, like, the, the tight head, always the cornerstone of the scrum. But, man, if the hooker's nailing, like, your gap management with the individuals you've got in terms of height and width and what whatnot, then it makes your job a lot easier. There's nothing worse than having a big gap or something if you're a short fella and you've got to yeah, 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 dip yeah, into yeah. things. So, yeah, he's, he's very key for us. Some solid scrum chat there for you, Jip. You would have enjoyed that. He seems like a smart oh, rooster. He's a man that speaks a lot of sense, isn't he? Um, he's very sharp on the field and he's very sharp off it. Um, and, you know, I wish him all the best because it was it was a very authentic chat, wasn't it? You know, he he, he was realistic about the, the challenge that was ahead of them, but, you know, not daunted by it. So I think it's, you know, a great decision from Tana and uh, Tom, and co to make him skipper and they'll know him really well obviously coming from the blues all three of them so they they know what he's about and leading a team that you've never been in before that that is an interesting thing to do to come straight in and lead i mean you've been in sides where you've been there the whole time how much of a challenge do you think that would be he would have been respect over the preseason, you know like and I, I think he is a natural guy everyone sort of um you know glues to and he's not foreign to those players in that side either Obviously played a bit at NPC level with them. So um, I think it's a natural fit. The, the one thing is, you know, someone's a good leader when they say, look, I don't want to come in and, and just be given captaincy. You know, like he was real considered and he wanted to earn the right and earn the respect before that was announced. So I think it shows that he is the right fit. We'll keep rolling those interviews out for you over the next few weeks with the different captains from Super Rugby. Please get in contact with us uh, over the next little while as well. I want to keep going into your questions. I'll tell or rugby pod at sky.co.nz and get into those YouTube comments. We'll continue to answer that. Now, one of the comments that we got throughout this week was, where was all the Six Nations coverage? There was so much Super Rugby. So here you go. 
got some Six Nations coverage coming your way. We're waiting for the games to uh, to go. <laughs> Less preview, a little bit more review from us along the way. Jippa, you love Scotland. You've been talking about Scotland for a couple of years now. You've been saying they've got all this potential and they just need to get it together consistently. 30-21 over England. That's become a thing that they've done consistently. What is it about the matchup between these two teams that favours Scotland so much? Um, oh, look, I don't want to put it down to one player. So I do think they've got a tough edge up front, which, you know, as I always say, lays the platform. But I think Finn Russell, um, he is just, he will chance his arm. He, he's not going to die wondering. Whereas England, I feel like they're just a little bit too robotic. Um, and, and methodical in terms of their processes and where they've got to be and probably don't play off the cuff as, say, if they had a Marcus Smith or, or so forth. So I do think he plays a big role. And, and then, um, you know, there's, there's other players that have just got more and more experience, um, especially in their back three, that, you know, go looking for work. And, and they are a point of difference in terms of their attacking structure. That X factor they've got, Bryn, is pretty damn good. Oh, look, Van, Van der Moever, I think he loves playing England. I think last time they played, he um, got pretty close to getting man of the match. But, yeah, look, I think Finn Russell, he's just, you know, you could arguably say he's the best the best 10 in the world at the moment with what his skill set is and, I guess, you know, playing test matches like he did on the weekend. And that's not to say that he had it his, all, his own way. I think, you know, the few times he tried to put kicks in, but there was a bit of pressure. But I guess the most thing that I was impressed about Scotland, we've talked around a lot, is that in games where they need to win, they haven't been able to get the job done. And you look at that first 20 minutes, they didn't have things their own way at all. You know, they were making uncharacteristic mistakes. England were putting pressure on them. They scored a very good first set-piece try to start off the game to be up, you know, 7-0 early doors. But, you know, they found a way. And, and, and fortunately, I think the greatest thing they did for this game was that they took the opportunities. Whereas in the past, they haven't been able to take their opportunities in, in big moments, and they were able to do that. So Van der Merwe scores a hat-trick, but... You know, they were constructed very well and they took the opportunities to put uh, the points on England. And I think, you know, to come back to Jip's point, you know, England don't have that ability, I believe, that um, can score a lot of points. They, you know, they have a lot of hard effort areas. They have the, the box kicks that they try to be able to build pressure off, whether it's at CPS as well. But there's just not a fluidity that has like, like a Scotland does with their attacking um, ability and I guess the expected that they, that they do have. So, yeah, really, really stoked for Scotland. And so um, it was great to see them get over the line and been able to, you know, continue that dominance against England that they have the last few years. Bruno, just on the back of that, when you said it didn't all go Finn Russell's way, I think that's my point is he chances his arm. It isn't always going to go his way, but he, he you know, pulls trigger. Whereas I feel like England don't give themselves the opportunity to make a mistake. You know, they're almost reliant on the ill discipline of the opposition to pick up three points here and there, if, if that makes sense. Brendan, you were talking earlier in the year that the modern game is about, it's moved to now you've got to be able to do all those things. South Africa can do all those things. They've added that to their game and it's made them world champions. You know, you've got to be there. I think it's been able to adapt, adapt on the run. And I think that's the biggest thing around test footy at the moment. The teams that are able to adapt on the run, you know, if one thing isn't working, then there's a secondary or a third thing that you can go into your bank to be able to try to change the game. But yeah, I think with, with Scotland, man, I think, you know, the more times that Finn Russell is able to, to play on top of teams. And I think, you know, that Ford pack, man, they're able to win that breakdown pretty consistently. And I know, you know, you don't, you don't get it all your own way, but you know, they're starting to build a bit of reputation around, you look at, you look at Ireland and how, I guess, brutal they are in that kind of contact area. So, um, yeah, great for Scotland. You know, obviously there's a, there's one more big game coming up for them that could decide the Six Nations. So, uh, yeah, they're building nicely. And you know, I think they're having that continuity. I think it's really important, Jip. They've had guys that are playing test matches for long periods of time. Now they've been together. Obviously they haven't done well in the 
in the World Cup stage, we weren't able to get out. But a lot of those guys we're seeing consistently now at a world at a, at a world class level now. Well, don't forget. Remember pre World Cup when we had Ben Darwin on. He he picked them to be in the final, Scotland, and that was based on the fact that they've played so much together. So that they have been around a long time and they know each other really well, and and they're reaping the benefits of that. But we are yet to see them grab a a, a trophy. You know, in terms of uh, not just one off. A competition like a Six Nations or a World Cup or whatever it may be, um, you know, if they can do the job against Italy, then that last round um, against Ireland is, is going to set it up perfectly for them to, I suppose, get that hoodoo off their back. Yeah, Ireland's looking good. Let's talk about Italy, though, because it's 13 all against France. They earn a penalty. It looked like a match-winning penalty. The French are moving around like they shouldn't have been. There's a water boy moving around. The ref isn't controlling that situation. And Garbisi didn't seem to have the composure to slow everything down, Jip. To me, you know, I've seen them frame the ref, but I, I look at the way the Italians were and the composure just wasn't there to take control of that situation. No, he, he panicked um, and, and probably didn't have enough um, clarity of the laws to to have that composure, um, but I do agree. Like the ref probably could have taken a little bit more charge, and and you know there was a lot of movement, so potentially could have taken it again. Um, but yeah, it's one they'll they'll be disappointed. And to his credit, he said after the game, he goes, "That's on me. Like I just I shouldn't have rushed it, and he's taken he's taken the heat for it." But um, yeah, France. A lot of uh, I put it down to probably the red card and the ill discipline, but they had plenty of opportunities before that red card as well. So um, it's just I, I, their mojo is just not there, and I, I do think that they are heavily missing uh, Dupont and Intermark as well. You're the captain. You've got a kicker who's looking a little antsy, like he's going to rush something, or you're a senior player. What do you do in that situation? You, surely you don't just watch on. Is that that's where you, as a senior player, need to step in and go, hey, 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 slow down? Well, it's kind of hard because the ball fell off and people were moving, and like you, you're not going to have an impact on him. But what, where I do think there could have been an impact is even prior to the ball falling off, the movement of the players. You'd be whispering in the ref's ear, going, "Hey, mate, there's a lot of movement. If this doesn't get over, like we, we deserve another shot here." Do you know what I mean? So you start planting those seeds well before that situation arises, uh, is, is what I'd say, especially in such a crucial moment. And it has to be proactive, Ross. Like, a ref's never going to change his mind, so pleading with him after the fact is not going to happen. So you have to be really proactive around those things and, and plant the seed um, well in advance so that at least that's fresh in mind and he can consider that when making the decision. Um, and I agree with Bryn, like, you've got to back your goal kicker's process system. Like, uh, the moment you start telling people how to do their job is, is probably the moment they probably shouldn't be in the team. <laughs> yeah, it was a car I crash, though. You could see it coming. Like, obviously, I don't kick a lot these days, but, you know, if I'm going through, like, my kicking routine and I've heard Big Jipper, he sees me a little bit flustered, but he's coming over to have a chat to me saying, mate, are you all good? Like, mate, take take some time. I'm just like, mate, just, like, don't, like, don't talk to me. Like, let me just sort it out. <laughs> I think you can influence. You can't influence the once he's going through his bloody um, his, his routine. Don't micromanage. Nah, you got to trust. Absolutely not. Stay out of it. And then berate them when they don't. Yeah. Has this happened? <laughs> yeah. like, I feel like this, this, this is this coming from experience. Oh, we've already talked about his first penalty in MPC. <laughs> it's definitely happened. 
<laughs> and it's because you can see that, that was after. That was after. That was after. Yeah, yeah, I know. That that's, that's what I'm saying. After the fact, it's a lot easier then. <laughs> Let's move on to to Jack Crowley in Ireland because I mean we talk about Scotland having a chance. Watching Ireland go about their business against Wales, I wonder if they do because they seem to have fallen into a pattern very nicely. I think um, it is Ireland's to lose, um, but I think that I just do feel like they've got to get through Italy. But man, Finn Russell's one of those players that if if he's if people don't think he can do something, he just wants to prove them wrong even more. And I don't want to make it all about one person, but he is someone that can win or lose a test match. And I, I truly believe it's Ireland's to lose. Like, they're the best team. There's no doubt about that. They've shown it. But if we can take it to that last round, I think it will be um, a lot harder than, than most people will be expecting. Man, I just I just think they've, they've continued their form. I think, man, they are... Their ability to be able to to be relentless in the areas that they need to be, whether that's on attack or defense, um, they just do it consistently, day in and day out. And you know that's obviously habits that's been built out through um, Farrell's coaching regime in the last three four years. You know, I, I watched the doco and the firms in, in terms of their mental skills that they've been able to practice for a long period of time and continuity as well. You know, obviously Johnny Sexton has gone, but there are actually a lot of players that are able to perform really, really well, that have been there for a long time. And then they actually are bringing a new a new influx of players as well with Crowley and obviously um, some other guys that have been able to have opportunities. So, yeah, I, I really don't see them losing. I don't see them losing. I know Scotland um, are playing really well and hopefully they do beat the Italians and then we can come into that last, that last game. But, man, they're just too tough at the moment. They are playing a brand of footy um, that is hard to beat. Their, their mental resilience in, in, in terms of attack and defence and what's required is at an all-time high. And, um, yeah, it's going to be very, very hard to beat. I think as well, like if you use Ireland um, in comparison to France, they've blow, both have lost their pinnacle player. Yep. Devon's gone to seven, Sexton's gone away. But I don't know for fact, but from the outside looking in, it actually is a tip of the cap for whatever their training environment's like. And I suppose the way uh, Johnny Sexton shared knowledge, that it's almost like they've got better. Do you know what I mean? It's like they've just slipped in like a glove. And I, that, that's, that'll have a lot to do with Farrell and the environment that he's got going there in terms of the opportunities that the, these guys that aren't starting get at training. But I do think there's an element of... Um, you know, the way Johnny Sexton has, has shared information to allow them, um, these players, to step into the, you know, pretty big shoes to fill and, and they're doing it in their own way as well. They're not trying to be Johnny Sexton. They're, they're literally doing it in their own way. But let's move from an intriguing Six Nations through to Super Rugby Opiki. First weekend of Super Rugby Opiki this weekend. We've got a couple of big games, Chiefs versus Poa and the champions Matatu versus the Blues. Looking ahead to this year, the competition has expanded slightly. There's more games over a longer period of time. The players are in camp a little bit longer, Jip. Which team do you think is the team to watch this year from what you've seen within the squads? Um, I think it's the Chiefs again in, in terms of pre-season form as well. And they've got some you know, experienced players coming back, um, obviously, Chelsea Semple's back in there, and I really think she's a player to watch, man. She's 
got herself in fantastic condition um, post having her, her child. And, um, you know, she's looking, you know, lean and mean and, and ready to sort of make a statement. And, and she still has aspiration and belief um, in, in getting back on that Blackfern side. And, and yeah, look, she's, she's put in a huge amount of work and she's looked good in this preseason. What about you, Bryn? We talk about recruitment, you know, having, um, you know, Steinmetz and now I think, you know, Renee Holmes is a, is a big one for them and a big loss for Mata too. I think um, the way they're recruited and I guess, you know, the ability that that group has depth-wise, you know, I think they'd be the favourites. But, you know, Mata too have that championship pedigree with, you know, being defending champions and I think with also a lot of those girls playing in, in for the Canterbury um, Canterbury team, um, you can never you can never um, say that they, they won't have a chance to win it. So I'd say the Chiefs and I think, you know, Chelsea Simple was one name that I had, um, obviously, you know, with James Simple as well. But, you know, she's working really hard behind the scenes and I think what she has and what her skill set is, um, is going to be a player to watch. But I think also Niall Williams, you know, you talk around superstardom and, and I guess with Ruby Tui that's come through that sevens program and I think having Niall Williams in that blue squad, um, it's going to be great to see her development playing 15s, which she hasn't played for a very long time. So she's been in and around playing um, NRL with the women women's league, and then I think with her pedigree at sevens, um, it's going to be able to great to see her be able to play blues for the Blues this year. And I think she'll be um, fantastic for a lot of those young back three, but more importantly, um, Patricia Maliapol. I think she's on the cusp of, you know, reaching her potential and then some. Um, so I think she's another player to watch. And I think someone like Niall Williams in and around that environment is only going to make her better faster. Um, so I think, you know, she's got an exciting year ahead of her. Mali Apple getting better is scary. So good off both feet, such a balanced runner. Yeah, and I think she's found her position, you know. A lot of times she played first five, but I do think the fullback position is, is suited to her, her skill set and, and she looks happy and, and confident in that role. Obviously, as a blues man, Jip, yeah, there's, there's a talented squad there. Probably hasn't yep. delivered on what they should have delivered on in recent years. Is this a year yeah, where they can get there? If you look at the Ford pack, there's a lot of black firms in there, a lot of senior you know, black firms now that, that start at that test match level. There, there is an expectation, and they've obviously got Ruahay there as well. So I think in terms of the squad, they've, they've got the players. It's just whether they can get that mojo going and, um, I suppose, click in the sense that, mm. you know, when it counts, they still they still probably haven't dominated the preseason as much as you, you'd probably see with the, the Manawa, but you've got to give them a chance with the players. When you look at the list of players they have, um, they, they are they're right up there in terms of that Black Ferns experience. So not like the Waratahs that you predicted for the Blues this year? I'll tell you what... Um, Waratahs weren't great, but your mates, the Rebels, 15 visits to the 22, no tries. Sorry to digress, but um, I, I might have got that wrong. I think the Waratahs would be 11th and the Rebels would be 12th. <laughs> well, the Rebels have sent the dartboard with Bruin it through to the Crusaders anyway. It's 76% uh, of their rucks were in their own half. Difficult, not kicking it. Nah, not kicking it. And... To be fair, the Brumbies tackled at 77%. 20 penalties, 15 turnovers, and 130 to 3. Like, with those sorts of stats, you should not win rugby games. That's a tough watch. 
Good luck to them this weekend. Sorry, I digress, Bryn, but no, the Blues will win. All righty. Okay, let's move on then to Super Rugby Tipping. Please join our Super Rugby Tipping League, tipping.super.rugby. Go to the Aotearoa Rugby Pod League and come join us. 150-odd of you did last week. Please, everyone, come in and join us in that Tipping League. Let's move on to the games this weekend. A few to go. Um, Highlanders versus the Blues. All of them, of course at the Super Round in Melbourne. So the Rebels are the team with the advantage this weekend. Um, Highlanders v Blues, Chipper, how do you see that playing out? Blues, but it's going to be tight. You know, defence is a key, key, key facet in winning big games. And I just think they edge, although the Landers tackled at 90%, I get that, um, but they weathered a hell of a storm in some pretty tough conditions. Yeah, I'm going the Blues. I think it'll be tight. I think, um, you know, again, the attacking ability that, that, that the Highlanders had on the weekend, I think it'd be a, a little bit harder defensively to be able to try and uh, to break this Blues team. I think, you know, the Blues have a really good defence. They showed a lot in, in Japan, and I think they showed a lot on the weekend as well. And in tough moments, we're able to come up big with with defensive players. So, yeah, I'm going to go the Blues. But, um, yeah, I, I want to say it's probably going to be a, a good improvement for the Highlanders, and I think it'd just be interesting to see how long they can stay with the Blues um, make it really competitive, but I'm going to pick the Blues. Bryn, your Rebels versus the Force. Where does one go? Probably actually need to make up some room here, eh? A lot. I'm down one this week, so yeah. I picked the Rebels. <laughs> um, nah, it's too early. It's too early in the comp. I'll go the Force. Dropped one with the Crusaders, didn't you? On the weekend. So Did. all of the top people on the table are pretty much on six points. So it's worth rolling the dice already, just week two. That, that, that's crazy, Ross. It's too early in the week. It's too early in the year, mate. <laughs> I'm going to horse. And can't pick the Rebels. <laughs> Jep? Well, I was really positive about the Force and the Rebels last week, but based on the weekend, it's quite a hard one to pick. Um, you know, like they, they both had good pre-seasons, but I think you'd have to say there was more there by the Force against a strong Hurricanes side to go go for the force. Um, bit of a pity that um, Wider Pacifica and the Drua are playing in Melbourne because that game could be a wonderful scene in any of the islands around the Pacific, but it is what it is. MPV Drua, Bryn? And that's actually a really hard pick because I think the, I think I had this pick last time, last year, and I picked Moana and then they ended up losing. Um, oh, man. I'm going to go the draw. I'm going to go MP. Mona Pacifica. Why is that? Experience in key positions, I think. Um, and I saw enough edge in their forward pack. If they can match the Fiji and Drua forward pack and their physicality, because they are a big pack and they're very athletic and, and very fit, they go the distance. So match there, then you, you've got to think... Um, the young first five probably just didn't. I, I told I had him as my rookie to watch, but he just didn't grab the game um, by the scruff of the neck. So if they stick with him, then then I'll probably go MP. But I will. I'll, I'll see the squads probably. Like I'll just put him out there. I'm saying MP now, but I will assess the the twenty threes before making the pick. Now I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you're not picking the Waratahs against the Crusaders, Jip. No. <laughs> I'm not going to throw that at you either, Bryn. Uh, we know where you're going in that game. Bonus point. Yeah, exactly. Chiefs versus Brumbies, Bryn. 
It's going to be a really good game. Really good game. I think the Brumbies, you know, they're the strongest team in Australia. But yeah, I just think the Chiefs, even if even if Dane McKenzie isn't there, I think they'll have enough um, to beat the Brumbies. But again, Brumbies always a chance. I think last year, did they win that? No, they didn't. When they played the Blues last year, is that right, Chip in Melbourne? Uh, yeah, they beat the Blues. Thanks, Ren. Yeah, so, yeah, sorry. That wasn't done on purpose. That wasn't <laughs> done on purpose, Chip. So, but I'll go the Chiefs. What about the Reds? Could they upset the Hurricanes, Chip? No. No chance. I really like the Hurricanes. Like I was, I'd probably again, if I'd going back a week, I'd be, I'd be going, oh, 50-50. Um, but man, that is, they, they, they look really, really sharp. Even without Cam Roygaard starting, um, Bill Hewen was was outstanding. I thought, um, and I, I do like that Brett Cameron, Ruben Love, um, little, little, I suppose, little connection that they got going, and you know, they've still got space for Morby to be there because I think he's a key strike weapon, weapon attacking wise for them as well. So, um, yeah, a lot to like about the the Hurricanes, and I, I think they'll. Um, do it convincingly. Excellent. Okay, well, that wraps up all of the action that's coming up this weekend in Super Rugby Pacific. Guys, thanks very much for joining once again on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Chipper, looking forward to having you back in the studio. The comments on your legs being exposed last week, a lot of fans who want you back in the studio next week to you know, show just what leg day's been doing for you. So uh, yeah, I look forward yeah. to seeing you back. I'll, I'll get the shorts on and a bit of moisturiser and I'll be away. <laughs> They're all going to turn off now. <laughs> There's going to be no clicks next week. <laughs> Brent, thanks again, mate. Uh, all the best. No problem. Look forward to seeing the baby oil, Chip. <laughs> Enough of that. Enough of that. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us once again on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. We'll catch you next week. Please get in touch at Aotearoa Rugby Pod at sky.co.nz. Comment in the YouTube section. You can catch us on YouTube. You can catch us as an audio pod and you can catch us on all of Sky's platforms. We really appreciate you tuning in. All the best. Matewa. Wa.